0: Today, we get to talk about the Bible in public schools again, a topic we thought was dealt with back in the 1960s, but it seems to keep coming back time after time. Our guest today is my friend and colleague, Tim Schultz, president of the First Amendment Partnership, a Washington, D.C.-based organization that deals with religious freedom issues legislation in the states. Tim, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Alan, always great to be here. So, first of all, there are some bills pending now in some state legislatures to put Bible curriculum in public schools. What can you tell us about what these bills will do or where they're pending? Yeah,
1: I mean, they're pending primarily
0: in what you would call more
1: conservative or so-called red states, uh, primarily south of the Mason-Dixon line. Um, the people who are really pushing these kinds of bills are also folks who have Wanted to have states post like slogans like in got to be trust" in classrooms. It might very well be that these bills uh, do not violate the Constitution. Um, you know that certainly there's nothing inherently wrong with public schools teaching the Bible as an academic subject. In fact, there there's some argument that this is just a basic part of of being literate in a, in a modern society. And it's possible that society in some ways is overcorrected and you know wanting worrying that the Bible is so dangerous. In public school, but we can't even talk about it at all, even in an academic sense. Um, so that's possible, but I think that the worry is is that the folks that are um, you know that really are pushing this are wanting it as a kind of backdoor way of teaching the Bible as a matter of truth in public school. And I think that that becomes much more problematic um, as a matter of the Constitution.
0: Well, and you know the problem I uh, I remember Tim, there was a I believe it was a Mississippi case. Many years ago, and a uh, Christian family got run out of town for objecting to the, the Bible program in the schools. They were teaching that each day of creation was an indefinite period of time. And when right. I read that, I laughed. I laughed because, you know, look, our listeners, I'm sure there are many different views of the first chapter of Genesis. And some of, you know, but, and in that state, of course, the kids being taught, many of them come from churches that believe that the days of creation are 24-hour days. And you have the school, essentially, the teacher taking, you know, staking out a theological position on an issue that there's a lot of disagreement about. Yeah, right. And, I, That's exactly you right. know, to me, it illustrated exactly why we don't ask the state to be responsible for teaching religion to our kids.
1: Right, I think that's right. So I think that on the one hand, I think teach, asking the state to adjudicate the correct interpretation of the Bible is incredibly silly. We shouldn't do
0: it, right? But I think right, we trust teaching, our politicians to, to decide what we should believe about the Bible, right? <laughs> exactly. Even to nice. say it is to see the absurdity of it,
1: right? It's totally absurd, right? But you know, it's like: Do we want religion to be taught in school? That is religious. Do we want people to be religiously literate? Do we want people to Absolutely. know, for instance? Yeah. And so I think that so. Should, so here's an example. Um, I think that it's totally appropriate to teach people about uh, the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening as part of American history. That is really important to understand. Uh, it's conceivable that when you teach something like the Great Awakening and social studies or history class, that what people believed about the Bible what they believed about the Bible is necessary to discuss. I mean, I think it's also helpful for people to see, as we see uh, here at the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., that uh, people that were involved in the slave trade, those people who uh, were involved in that evil, wicked institution, uh, actually gave Bibles to slaves that had all of the material about freedom in the Bible, including uh, much of the book of Exodus, uh, excised, cut out. Uh, that that was that it was removed uh, from their Bibles. So things like that, I think, are really important for students to understand. I don't think that that in any way breaches the Establishment Clause, but I think it's a lot more slippery when you have people trying to opine about you know the veracity of the Bible, which I think is not for other places.
0: So let me just kind of go on the record here. I am a big believer that the Bible is very important. For public education, private education, I think everybody needs to have read the Bible and to understand its significance in civilization, in our culture, you know, throughout history. It's the most influential book of all time, you know. So for starters, I'm a big believer that, you know, kids need to be taught the Bible, period. Now, how it's done... Uh, as you know, the First Amendment Center has something called the Three R's Project, which for many years has been training teachers and uh, school administrators in the constitutional way that public schools can and should approach teaching about the Bible, teaching about religion. You know, we get yeah. objections here from those who don't want anything taught about Islam in our public schools but to me post 911 you know we need our kids need to understand what islam is you know we yeah, need to be educated about the religion not because you know we want our kids to change their religion or to adopt the religion of islam but it's important to what's happening in the world today to understand you know to be versed in these things and uh, i completely agree uh, i don't get the objections to you know, to teaching about religion. So I just, you know, lest we, uh, you know, and I know you agree with me, Tim, lest we leave our listeners thinking that somehow, oh, we're a bunch of liberals who don't like the Bible. No, I'm a Christian minister, and nobody's ever accused you, Tim, of being a liberal, I don't think.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, it's funny. uh I think that I some of the time these days, voices, you well know, Alan, we're friends on Facebook, to even voice an opinion on any, on any matter that is somewhat uh, moderate uh you know gets you uh you know people worry about you a little bit right people people check in and make sure that you're not uh you know becoming a, a a liberal or you know that the same thing happens on the other side i'm sure sure sure
0: so um and you mentioned so this this uh this bible well the bills themselves have specific in, in uh details about what is be taught or or at what ages how specific but, are you know, these they,
1: bills? They don't specify. They kind of leave it up to school boards. Um, but, um, I mean, I think it's fair to say they don't, on their face, in my opinion, violate the Constitution. So I, I think it would be very hard to look at them and say, well, these bills clearly violate the Constitution. I think it's more of a concern that that this is not mostly designed by folks who have the First Amendment senator's of view on teaching the Bible as a sort of religious subject as opposed to a religious truth, right? I mean, I clearly, the people who are, who, who, the energy behind these bills, um, is, is for those who really want people to, to read the Bible because they believe that it's the truth. Um, and look, I believe right. the Bible is the truth too. I mean, I do, I believe the Bible is the truth, but I think that, um, I think that, you know, truthfully in the hands of your average public school teacher, um, I don't think that they're, that they're, you know, that's I want teaching the truth of the Bible. I just don't.
0: Well, you know, we just had an elders meeting, and we were talking about improving the quality of the teaching of the Bible in our church, so, sure. yeah, but at least in church, you know we all as a community have some say about trying to get the best people teaching it and making sure that it's taught well and effectively yeah. but uh, and, how well, I'll, okay? I'll tell you I
1: will tell you, Alan, what my biggest concern about this, and this is this is actually the kind of thing that only uh, perhaps an insider who does this for a living would kind of see. But I think that there are a cluster of so-called religious freedom issues that are, in fact, not really very serious issues that are purely about cultural markers of Christianity. So, for instance, the so-called War on Christmas, you know, our right, our quote-unquote right to say Merry Christmas, um, is another example of this. I even think the so-called, you know, the, the controversy over the right of churches to sort of, um, you know, endorse political candidates or speak, speak about politics from the pulpit. Um, you know, there's been a lot of ink spilled about that. And when, I, when people talk to me about the real issues they're worried about, that's never one of the first five things they mention. So I, I just know that when legislatures meet, they have only a certain amount of capital to spend on issues like this, right? And and I think that there are real threats to religious freedom out there, Um, and I think that legislatures have a real role in meeting those threats, and I just think that when you you spend political capital on things like this, you have less to spend on things that really matter. And so I just worry that a lot of this stuff is kind of distracting, and it's a kind of cultural assertion by conservative Christians that, that sort of allows politicians to avoid looking at some of the real things that are really hard issues about protecting religious liberty, um, you know, for these kind of easy kind of cultural signals that have a lot less to do with the actual correction phase.
0: Well, you know, I couldn't agree with you more, Tim. You know, I have said for years, for example, that all of these battles over, you know, crosses and commandments and, you know, religious displays... These are not genuine religious liberty issues, you know, because what I deal with, my bread and butter as a lawyer is to represent people of faith who are getting fired, who are losing their jobs because of their religion. Now you're talking about a serious issue that impacts people's lives. It destroys families, you know, uh, whether the cross is up on the hill or not, whether the commandment monument is up or not. You know, these are, as you say, cultural markers, a part of the yeah, culture was, wars.
1: Yeah, and I, and I don't want to say, I would not go probably so far as to say that it's irrelevant, like that the establishment clause jurisprudence of the court is completely irrelevant, right? I, I, it's not irrelevant. I, I would not go that far, and I know you would not either. I just think that, as you say, if you kind of look at the issues that really affect people's lives, I worry a lot more that the Supreme Court, you know, interpreted a law that Congress passed, right? You know, to, to, that, that said that employers have to accommodate people's religion. And in the Supreme Court, most people don't realize, this basically said, hey, eh, you know, you know, employers really don't have to accommodate unless, you know, unless they're absolutely abusive. They don't really have to offer much of an accommodation at all, and you know that affects the lives of millions of people in a way that I just don't think a lot of these public display of, you know, crosses and such really do. So, well, um, it, it's just part a of the problem about priorities.
0: Right. But part of the problem here, Tim, is I think that the the right-wing rhetoric, the propaganda machine has been to attack the establishment clause, to attack the wall of separation between church and state, and when you attack that, basically the end game is to say the state should be able to promote religion, but it's not yeah. religion even-handedly, it's my religion. I want the state to promote my religion, to identify with my brand of Christianity, and uh, dismissive of anybody else and their rights.
1: Right, and so one of the great uh, intellectual errors that a person can make, I think, is to overreact to something that is wrong. And I, you know, it, as much as I think that some of the courts uh, you know, establishment clause of jurisprudence went too far and sort of stripping the public square of kind of every mention of religion. I think that some of that went too far. Um, I think to overreact and say that, we, you know, we just should have fake thoughts or religion um, is a huge error. Um, and, you know, yeah, I could, I, I agree with you. I think that there's a kind of uh, culture war industrial complex uh, that thrives off of this kind of conflict. And I think, again, it's, it's sort of cheap uh, political point scoring. And we have real issues related to religious freedom that require serious people to think hard.
0: Um, We're way out of time here. Sure. I love sure, your sure. phrase, "cult war industrial complex. I'm going to remember that one. We've been talking with sure, Tim welcome. Schultz, president of the First Amendment Partnership, about these Bible literacy bills that have been introduced. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.